0: So welcome back again to part two of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Kelly. Sharon Ambrose is still joining me on the other end of the skyline. And today we'd hope to be joined by Father Eamon McCarty, who's the priest director of Radio Maria, uh, to share his reflections with us on the life of Idel Quinn of the Legion of Mary, whose 75th anniversary occurs this year. Now, unfortunately, Father Eamon wasn't able to join us, and so we've decided to play a talk given by Father Eamon in the US some, some time back about the life of Idel Idel Quinn. We'll follow this talk with Father Eamon's choice of music, which is taught to, to us by Dana. So we'd invite our listeners to sit back and listen to Father Eamon, who shares with us again the life of Idel Quinn.
1: Now again, Edel Quinn, now she lived before Alfie Lamb, okay, so to try to get the dates. I started with Alfie because he's probably the shortest, maybe the easiest to deal with, but uh, Edel again lived a very young life. So she was 37 when when she died, born in 1907, so that's even before the Legion itself began. Legion started in 1921, Uh, and again, a tremendous young woman from an ordinary family and tremendous faith and apostolic outlook, going this time to Africa, and she visited a large portion of the continent of Africa, began the legion there, and the tremendous apostolic work herself. So, so she was born in 1907, September 14th, Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross, and certainly in the same way the Lord's hand moving in there, the cross was very much a part of her, her life. She died May twelfth, nineteen forty-four. So just keep in mind, nineteen forty-four was the height of the Second World War. You know, so she was in Africa, and the war was going on in the you know, the world was just consumed by this war. So her cause was introduced in nineteen sixty-three. Declared venerable in nineteen ninety-four. So that's about nine years ago. So in other words, all the documentation documentation has been submitted and approved, and now all we need is some good first-class miracles to to. to uh, get her declared a saint. So she was born in Canturk, which is north of Cork there. You can see where each of those places is in Ireland. Again, uh, it's about an hour's drive from my parish which is just east of Cork to, to get to Canturk. I was there recently. They unveiled a beautiful statue of Edel Quinn in the town of Canturk in, a, in a, just a little area called uh, Edel Quinn Place. A little green area, a beautiful statue of Edel. The bishop came and blessed the, the statue there. Uh, and it's a great beginning to you know, uh, generate awareness in that way. And they have a novena there every year, actually, as well. A uh, nine-day novena of masses in honor of Edel Quinn asking her intercession. So there's a couple of ideas already for promoting her, her cause. So you can see where Dublin is then in relation to to that in Cork. Dublin's about a three-hour drive from Cork. So there's a lovely uh, romantic thatched cottage there where Edel was born, straight out of a Hollywood movie, you know. Uh, there aren't too many of those left in Ireland, by the way. You see a little bicycle up against the wall there, and there's a goose in the foreground there with a few goslings running after you, you can see that. Uh, that's a typical Irish farm scene way back when. You know, I'm not sure if that house is even still there, to be honest. Uh, so that's, that's in North Cork. So there's Edel, age four. Beautiful impish little girl. Uh, very cute and, and very bright indeed. Very, very bright girl. So she was baptised in a place called Castle Magna, very, very near Canturk uh, itself. And in Castle Magna Church, that's in my diocese, uh, there's a lovely shrine to Our Lady, just uh, kind of like you have a shrine here, maybe behind me, uh, but a shrine with images of Edel Quinn and the story of her life there. And it's a great way of commemorating her there. And many people come and visit there. We had the Archbishop of Nairobi, uh, where Edel died. Uh, He came just last year to uh, celebrate Mass there and to commemorate uh, the great work she had done in Africa and to thank, really, the people of the area for uh, bringing such a great saint into their midst in Africa. So she received her first communion then in care in Tipperary on the Feast of the Ascension. So that feast is coming up again. So she moved around quite a lot because her father was a bank manager and he moved wherever the bank needed him. Um, So he moved around from place to place. Here in 1914, the the Quinn family, Mrs. Quinn and uh, the children, and uh, there was five children all together, and Edel was the oldest. And you can see the way they're dressed, it's uh, early 20th century. Again, lovely portrait of Edel at 11, uh, around the time she received her confirmation. And notably at her confirmation, she took the names Josephine Eucharia. She had a great love for the Holy Eucharist. And already at the age of 11, you can see by taking that, that name, uh, the love of Jesus and the Holy Eucharist coming through there. So there's her dad big rotund kind of a man with his pipe. Um, interestingly, he ran into difficulties later on, and his, uh, it's, it's um, uh, a testimony to Adele herself how she kind of stepped in and helped the family out. Because, uh, as it turned out, one of the biographies tell us that Mr. Quinn had an addiction to gambling and found it difficult, and in the bank he took a few extra bills here and there to, to, uh, to support his gambling addiction, and he was found out and demoted from manager down to a humble clerk. And their income was severely uh, affected by that. And Idell went to work after her own schooling to try to, to make up for that. Um, she never really spoke about it. The only time she spoke about it, I think, was to the man who proposed to her to try to explain the situation to him that, look, uh, I, I'm supporting my family at this time, really. Uh, I'm not ready to get married. Of course, that wasn't the only reason, and we'll see as we go through. So there she is in her, her pinafore or whatever I, is it, the gym slip we call them in Ireland. But I think there's another that has all the connotations. A jumper is it, as you call them? Okay. Uh, there's a lovely picture of Adele. Uh, the family were, were wealthy enough, so they sent her to England at the age of 16 to a finishing school. So kind of like the last year or two of high school, sent her there for to really polish up her education and to make a young lady of her. Uh, so she went there, and the girls there at that school uh, had great time for Adele. She was great fun. She was always good for, good for a laugh, always up to a prank here or there. And you can see in all the photographs that we go through and, and the images that we have of her, beautiful smiling face, and especially in her eyes, there's something deeper there about her. So there she is as a young working woman in the 1920s. Uh, there again, beautiful smile on Idell with her sister in the, the Chagny Tile Works. And her, her, that's the foreman with her in that photograph. But her employer, uh, Pierre, uh, of the Tile Works, he, he took a strong fancy to Idell after a year or two, her working there, because she was so dedicated and so committed to her work and so efficient, he could leave the whole business in her hands and she'd look after everything. Uh, there was a great dispute one day when uh, a huge delivery of tiles came to the factory and it was more than they'd ordered. Head office had sent this huge delivery. And they just couldn't, they didn't order it. They didn't know where this came from. So they couldn't send it back to France where the tiles came from. So they had to offload them. And and uh, the workers there were grumbling and giving out. They had to put in overtime, And there was a big dispute and they downed tools. And Adele had to intervene and try to negotiate. And uh, she was quite firm. She said, OK, you know, you get a half day's pay extra. She arranged some, some deal. And the guy said, no, nope, we're not having that, and, and down tools again. And Adele says, well, no, nope, that's, that's it, we'll like it or lump it. And uh, she was quite strong and good at her job, good at her job. Her employer, who proposed to her on the 1st of September 20, 1927 there, but uh, Adele explained to him, uh, look, I've, I've made a, a vow to enter the poor Claire's, and I'm going to do so as soon as I know my family are in the clear financially. So she held on until then. But she, she kept up communication with Pierre. He was heartbroken. And, and, and they developed a strong spiritual relationship even in themselves. The correspondence did peter out in the, in the 1930s. But we learn a great deal about Edel's spirituality from the letters that she wrote to him and kind of apologizing herself. And maybe she felt maybe she hadn't made herself clear when she turned him down and she tried to explain things in the light of her faith. And Pierre soon realized that this was a chosen soul. She had a deep, deep spirituality and that she was not his really for the asking. Later on, he himself got married and he named one of his daughters Edel, after Edel Quinn. So he really appreciated his own faith was strengthened by that. So there she is in the 1930s. here she is. she is. She, eventually, a friend of hers simply asked her to join the Legion, and kind of like Alfie Lamb, she excelled at her Legion membership. She absorbed the spirituality of the Legion in the true devotion to Mary and became a marvelous uh, Legionary uh, with great apostolic spirit in spite of her illness and her frailty. Uh, she took very ill in the early 1930s with tuberculosis. Um, in fact, she went to enter the Poor Clares. Uh, in the, uh, the late 1920s, around about this time, and the poor Claire's, she had made arrangements, which was, was going to be uh, on the Feast of the Annunciation and on the, the March 25th. And so on the February, she suddenly was diagnosed with tuberculosis. So again, her vocation to religious life, completely frustrated that God's plan for her was obviously something completely different. It wasn't to be the poor Claire's. Uh, And yet, again, heartbroken by that and devastated that, uh, you know, what am I going to do now? Where is God calling me? So, um, and and she was very sick. In fact, so sick that she had to give up the Legion and she was admitted to a sanatorium. And back then in the 1930s, the only remedy for tuberculosis was fresh air and more fresh air. You know, they put you in the sanatorium, open the windows, winter, summer, and this was, it helped, I think, but uh, this was this supposed cure, so she stayed in the sanatorium about about a year, I think. And eventually said, well, look, this is this is crazy. I'm not getting any better, and my family can't afford this, so I'm leaving." So a visitor came to her in a car. She packed her things and just went. And it wasn't as if she was being hasty or rash. She was really trying to look after her family's needs. That she knew she wasn't getting better and this wasn't doing any good, so it was time to leave. So uh, gradually she got back involved in the Legion and uh, even though she was quite sick she managed to conceal it quite well by her cheerful personality uh, and, and uh, gradually got back into the swing of things with the Legion and seemed to improve a little at least anyway in the early 1930s. So 1934 was the first Legion pilgrimage to Lourdes and Adele went, she's the centre there at the back of that photograph, she went with them even though she was desperately sick. And on one occasion, she even fainted. Uh, they went to visit the bishop, local bishop of Tarbes, I think, in Lourdes. And Adele, Adele fainted on this trip. Uh, she hadn't had breakfast before Mass, and they went straight from Mass. And she used to do this kind of thing regularly, uh, really not eating enough, huge self-denial in her whole, her, her whole life, her whole spirituality there. So here she's with some of her friends, uh, Mona McCarthy and Emma Bodkin. And there was a fourth Muriel Wales the four of them, Frank Duff, nicknamed the gang. They were always palling around together, and they had great fun. You can see by the smiles, there were great funs in the, in the 1930s there. Um, so, 1936, uh, she and Muriel Wales, one of, her, one of the gang, they went on a trip to, to Wales and to England to spread the legion. And even though Adele really wasn't that well, Muriel went with her to keep an eye on her. Because Muriel says herself, there's a video interview with her, Muriel says that uh, Frank Duff knew that Muriel was well able to eat and rest and do all the normal things, whereas Adele was at this heroic level of giving of herself. So he sent Muriel with Adele to make sure that she would look after herself, but that the two would try to spread the Legion in Wales and in England, uh, specifically North Wales. And they did, and they, they, the first, they went for two weeks. The first week, uh, things didn't go too well. The second week, uh, they succeeded in getting permission to start seven presidia in that short visit. So that's the kind of effect they had. Um, so they did, and on their return, they were thrilled. They went to see Frank Duff and explained everything to him. And uh, Frank Duff suggested to Edel, in his own characteristic way, well, Now that you've been to Wales. In fact, what Edel wanted to do was to go back to England and to work there and to spread the Legion there instead. So Frank said, well, how about Africa? And she said, yeah, I'll do it. No problem. I'll go. Uh, And so she did. There was all kinds of consternation at the Legion headquarters, the Concilium meeting, that Edel, a frail, sickly young woman, should go to Africa, dangerous continent, uh, full of the unknown, full of wild jungle animals, and who knows what? Missionaries found it difficult enough, let alone a weak young girl like Edel Quinn. So at the Concilium meeting where they were making the decision to send her, there was a priest there, Monsignor McGuinness, who stood up and said, look, I've been in Africa for years. This is crazy, sending her out there. It's extremely dangerous. She's not a well woman. Uh, this just is not right. And he was very much against the whole idea of sending Idel. Uh, and Adele herself stood up during the meeting, and she said, "Well, you know, I'm no—I know I'm not going on any kind of picnic." And Monsignor McGinnis was quite a, a forthright man. He said, "Picnic?" He said, "You'll be the picnic, you know." <laughs> and so uh, the whole place broke into laughter that And Frank Duff stood up then. And he said, "Well, she won't be much of a picnic, really, you know." <laughs> and so at that stage, the the atmosphere had kind of kind of relaxed a bit, and. Uh, the permission was granted and she was set to go. But Adele, being the sensitive spiritual soul that, that she was, uh, shortly after that went to the Presidium meeting where Monsignor McGuinness was a spiritual director. And during the meeting, one of the members tells this story. Adele kind of burst in the door and stopped the meeting and went up and knelt next to Monsignor McGuinness and apologised. She said, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to uh, undermine your authority or to, you know, I really didn't mean to cause a, a to, to change, to sway the opinion of the Concilium like that. And poor Monsignor McGuinness, nearly close to tears himself, he said, look, you know, <laughs> the, the Lord works in his own way. And he kind of embraced her, and she embraced everybody at the meeting, and shortly after then she was to set sail for Africa. So here she is in, in England, in, uh, near London, on the ship, ready to go with Frank Duff. This is quite um, an historic photograph with uh, Edel Quinn and Frank Duff, And she was close to tears at this parting, but she told the people with her, the Legions who came to see her off, look, try not to say too much in case I break down. I don't want to to break down in tears. And she knew herself. She told the Legions, I'm not coming back. She had this sense of utter, utter commitment. So there she is on board ship, her usual smile. Uh, As it turned out, uh, there wasn't room in the ship. And the way the Lord works things out, uh, there was a cancellation. And so Edel got a first class cabin. Uh, and she, she was a bit, maybe you know, on her own humility, didn't really like that too much, but uh, Frank Duff was happy that she had got comfortable passage, because it would take weeks to travel to Africa. And more than that, uh, because she had a first class cabin, she was able to have mass celebrated in the cabin every day on the way to Africa. So amazing how the Lord looks after his own. So this is en route, just a picture of uh, Edel in her safari dress uh, in Port Said, that's on the way to Mombasa in, in Kenya. Uh, here she is now in Kenya itself. So she began in Kenya, Nairobi, and made lots of friends there. Here's a priest that uh, supported Edel a great deal in her own work uh, along the way. But again, had, had all kinds of difficulties uh, trying to begin the Legion. Part of that was the language barrier, part of that was the racial barrier, because you had whites, you had Indians, Asians, and native Africans too. And they, they wouldn't mix. The three. Ethnic groups would not mix together. And so Idel came along and said, well, look, the legion is for everybody. We don't, you know, we don't set up separate groups like that. And they said, well, no, this is the way things are. You know, just accept it and get on with it. And uh, no, Idel, in fairness to her, she, what she did, she started individual groups, certainly of, of the ethnic groups, but she also began mixed groups as well. So she broke new ground that missionaries themselves couldn't break by establishing mixed presidia of the legion. And again, she had phenomenal success and traveled all around Kenya um, and, and the countries around there, Malawi, um, is it Zimbabwe it's next to that? Um, Uganda she went to visit too, Tanzania. She went further afield to, to uh, Mauritius, down to South Africa, uh, traveled around quite a few of the, the large countries in the east of Africa there. So Africa is simply an enormous continent. It, it's worth sitting down and actually looking at the map to get a, an appreciation of the scale of her journeys and her travels. Just just extraordinary. So in the beginning, all her work, she travelled around. She took lifts here, there and everywhere, travelled by foot, uh, every conceivable means of transport in Africa. And eventually she, she figured she, she needed a car, really. So uh, the first year or two was, was spent uh, getting lifts here, there and everywhere. But in 1938, she the Concilium allowed her to buy a car. And because she worked in, a, in, a, in another premises where they used to maintain cars, she knew a little bit about you know, a good buy. And so she got this Ford coupe, uh, which took her on. She called it her Rolls Royce, and it took her everywhere. And there's many occasions when she went through rain and flood and mud and dirt tracks. And you know that poor car took all kinds of abuse. Uh, one of her journeys, she had a driver, who used to come around with her, Mohammed. Uh, her, she had a few drivers in the course of the years and at least two of them were fond of the, fond of the drink, and uh, she had to sack a couple of them along the way because you know, they were going everywhere. <laughs> you know, so she had to be careful. So here's a typical uh, Presidium and the Legion growing, Adele sitting there at the front and some priests and religious there, uh, just to give you an idea that, yeah, the, she won great support. And again, it was, I guess, her living the Legion that really uh, people admired it and, and were drawn into it. Uh, extraordinary, and here Adele, quite at ease with various priests and missionaries, and able to hold her own, just like with the men at the at the at the factory, you know, uh, tough but but deeply deeply uh, religious at the same time. There she is at the front there with a typical Legion meeting, no different to any Legion meeting you might have here. So 1936 to 1940, you know, there's just huge amount of travelling, all over these these uh, vast countries jungle and tropics and heat and all kinds of conditions. She, she picked up malaria along the way as well. So, and, all, and together with her tuberculosis, uh, how she survived at all is miraculous at all. But uh, here she is recovering from illness in, in Malawi. That uh, was after her trip to um, Mauritius as well. And you can see just from her legs uh, how thin she was. She thought it was a good idea to go and get a portrait taken to show how good she was, but uh, in reality, she's 75 pounds, she, she really was, got very ill. Uh, and you can see next to Ruby Roberts there, another Irish envoy, uh, Ruby's in her 50s and Adele there is only in her 30s, and you, you would say it was the other way around, really. Um, she looks worn out from her, her work. Uh, and, and this was after much travelling and much, much visiting. So the early 1940s saw a real downturn in, in her health. And she spent a year or more in various hospitals trying to recover. She went to South Africa because the the climate was a bit more temperate there from uh, East Africa and Kenya, It was quite tropical there and quite difficult to live. So South Africa, the uh, climate was better suited to her. So I've kind of flashed through very quickly her time in Africa. But really, again, it was much like Alfie Lam, presidium after presidium, curia after curia. and, And she won the hearts of all. Not without huge opposition at the same time. Missionaries saying, Look, what you know, there was, there was never heard of that a young uh, woman who wasn't a religious should travel the roads of Africa and the mission stations uh, in an apostolic way. It was simply unheard of. You just wouldn't do that. Uh, so she was a pioneer, certainly in that spirit. Uh, and wherever she went, she managed to win their hearts and to begin the Legion. And again, the same workload, having to write, to keep in touch with the various Presidia and Curia, to return again, to visit again, see how they were doing, to keep in touch with Dublin, to keep everybody informed what was going on, to win over the hearts of, of bishops and priests and missionaries. There was one occasion when a, a, there was one priest who really didn't have time for the Legion, uh, and he kind of undermined everything Edel was trying to do. So he'd established these groups to get people to come together like here. And yet he'd kind of, he'd knock it on the head all the time. Uh, and yet on one occasion, there was another, a second priest with them. And he could see how sincere Edel was. And because this other priest was giving her such a hard time, he kind of won her heart and kind of got in the back door that way and managed to get things going in that place uh, through that other priest. Uh, so it was simply her perseverance that, that won her through. Not only that, but there was a, an apostolic delegate in Africa at the time, a Monsignor Riberi and he was in Africa during those years. He's an Italian, and because the war had started the 19, 1939, uh, his, he was asked to leave Africa. Some of these countries were occupied by the English, and being Italian, they were on the side of the Germans, and so his time was limited in, in Africa, and he had to go. But he, he had made contact with Edel, and he'd seen the huge success that Edel had in starting the Legion in Africa. He was then sent back to Italy. He was then appointed as a nuncio to China, in the 1940s. And he had seen what the Legion could do. So he arrived in China in the late 1940s, and he said, right, the Communists are coming. We've got to start the Legion. He'd seen what Edel could do, and he said, well, look, because Edel had such success, we can do the same here. So he took on uh, Father Aidan McGrath, who was an Irish priest in China at the time, and said, get started, get going. And they started, in China, many thousands of Presidia, and there were many thousands of Chinese martyrs for the faith as a result of that in the early 1950s. Now all this is going on while Alfie Lam is busy working in South America. So you can see, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here at the same time and how the Holy Spirit is moving right across the globe. Uh, extraordinary. So Edel Quinn, um, uh, Monsignor Riberi would say was responsible really for bringing the faith to China. And, and we look at China today in the 1950s, I reckon, about three million Catholics. But now it's grown to, to many more, at least 10 million or more Catholics in China, in spite of the persecution that's still, still ongoing. So Idel died in, in, uh, in, in Nairobi, in 1944. And she was buried in the habit of the Sisters of the Precious Blood. Uh, so it was as if her, her religious vocation had finally uh, been fulfilled. Here she was buried with, with the sisters.
0: Could you see me? heart must be open you said that justice is the key but it takes our love to turn it you said that